Welcome to the sermon podcast of Old Bridge Baptist Church. Our mission at OBBC is to make disciples of Christ who connect with God, others, ministry, and the lost. We pray that the following sermon will encourage you in your walk with Christ today. Visit us on the web anytime at obb.church. Well, here I am tonight. Uh, this is Saturday night for me uh, in in my backyard here at the parsonage and I'm getting ready to to bring to you the sermon that I have prepared this week from Romans chapter 7 and it's a beautiful evening and I'm looking forward to sharing it with you but uh, I want to ask that you would uh, sort of give all your attention to the the teaching and preaching of God's Word now um, if you can uh, get a, a copy of God's Word in front of you and sort of dig into this with me and uh, uh, as we do that, as you, as you pull out your Bible or, or navigate there on your phone, I want to pause for another word of prayer. So let's pray. Father, I, I come before you this, this morning, and uh, Lord, I, I ask for your blessing on the preaching of your word, on the teaching of it. God, I pray that your spirit would apply it to our hearts and to our lives. Father, uh, we long to hear from you today. And I pray that your word would be seen to be glorious and that it would be living and active, Lord, and that it would strengthen uh, the body of believers here at Old Bridge. And Father, I also pray that it would also draw people to yourself far and wide, Lord, no matter where this sermon travels over the internet. Uh, Father, I pray that you would draw many people to yourself through it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, do you remember that scene from The Lord of the Rings, uh, the second book or movie uh, called The Two Towers, where the creature Gollum wrestles within himself between obeying and embracing Frodo, his new master, who's been kind and benevolent to him, or obeying his evil, evil alter ego that is still enslaved to the ring. This debate within himself is actually very well done in the movie. Um, Everyone else on the quest is asleep, and Gollum sits alone sort of in the moonlight having this debate within himself out loud. It's taking place within himself, but they portray it as something that's out loud. And after a lot of of reasoning back and forth between the, the good and the evil, his, his good side wins out in the debate, and he begins to triumphantly shout down the evil side of himself with this phrase, go away and never, never come back. And every time he says it, he becomes more hopeful and victorious as he, as he proclaims that, go away and never come back. And the first time I saw that scene, it touched me very deeply because the, the struggle between the good and the evil within in Gollum uh, is something that uh, I immediately recognized as reminding me of Romans chapter 7. In Romans 7, the, the Apostle Paul is going to describe his own struggle between the part of him that delights in God's law and wants to obey God and the part of him that still inexplicably uh, longs to do what is evil. You know, he says that I long to do what's good, but then when I, when I want to do the good, there I find right beside me the evil is there. It's present within me. 
And um, Paul will even cry out near the end of this chapter something that I, I think all uh, sinners um, struggling with their, their sin and struggling to obey God can identify with. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And, and that's where we're headed in this chapter. And it really um, is just a wonderful chapter of, of the Word of God. But we're going to begin here uh, this week. We're going to be spending a couple, three weeks here in Romans chapter 7. And we're going to start uh, this week by, by sort of focusing in on, uh, for us as Christians, what exactly is our ongoing relationship to God's rules, to the law, right? right? What is our relationship to it? In these 25 verses of Romans chapter 7, the law is spoken of or referred to some 30 plus times. And so it's clearly the theme of the chapter. And, and Paul is in this chapter seeking to clarify that question. What is, what is the Christian's relationship to God's rules moving forward? And <clears throat> you see, Paul is still going to be unpacking a statement that he made back in, in chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. I want to just take you back to those verses again because it really provides the context for what we're talking about. If you look at verse 14 of chapter 6, Paul says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Right, so Paul has said something rather shocking here, that we are no longer under the law. And he knows that he needs to further unpack this for, for many of the Christians in Rome. Um, it, it was indeed a radical and shocking claim, especially to, to any Jewish Christians that were there. Um, but not only the Jewish Christians, but many of the Gentile Christians who were there were, were actually God-fearing Gentiles who were in the synagogues. They were some of the first Gentiles to, to come to Christ. And many of them would also find this to be a shocking claim. Uh, so you see, because the Jews thought that the law was given by God, not, uh, they, they didn't see it as something that pointed us to the need for salvation. They saw it as the remedy, right? God gives us these rules, and he gives it to us to curb our sins so that we might become better, better people. And over time, you know, we might become pleasing to God. But Paul has been teaching here in the book of Romans just the opposite. In Romans 4.15, he insisted that, uh, to the contrary, the law brings wrath. And in chapter 5, verse 20, he taught that the law came in to increase the trespass. So, you think that by keeping the, the old covenant law that you're going to find salvation, that you're going to find acceptance before God, but to the contrary, your failure to keep the law has only brought you greater accountability, greater wrath, greater trespass before God. And yet they still felt bound to it by covenant. The law, you see, 
was never intended to liberate you from the taskmaster of sin. The law only had the ability to point out that fact of slavery to sin. But Paul says that in unity with Christ, that slavery to sin has ended, right? We are no longer under sin. We, we are not even under the old covenant law anymore, Paul says, as Christians. We are no longer under the law. We are under grace in unity with Jesus Christ. How can this be? How can we, how can we be out from underneath the law? Well, Paul's going to answer three questions here in this chapter, and the chapter can really be outlined around these three questions that, that Paul asks about the law. In verse 1, verse 7, and verse 13, you're going to see three questions. And like I said, this provides really an outline for the chapter. Uh, in verse 1, Paul's essentially asking, how long is God's law binding? And Paul's going to answer that in verses 1 through 6. And then secondly, beginning in verse 7, Paul's going to ask the question, is God's law sin? Is it sin? In verse 7. And then finally, in verse 13, he's going to ask, is God's law what kills me? And and so in in answering these questions, we're really going to get at uh, this issue of what is our relationship as a Christian to the law in an ongoing way and how are we to move forward here in Christ well this morning we're only going to be looking at the first of these questions Uh, and that one is here beginning in verse 1 how long is God's law binding in in this section of scripture verses 1 through 6 Paul first gives us a principle in verse 1 and then an illustration in verses 2 and 3 before giving us the application in verses 4 through 6. So let's start with the principle. Verse 1, Paul says, Or do you not know, brothers? Again, as I've said, Paul is speaking to Christians, to brothers and sisters in Christ. And he is once again indicating that they really ought to know this by now. right? Do you not know, brothers? This is something that you ought to know. For I am speaking to those who know the law. As I said, the, the early church was comprised of a lot of Jewish Christians and a lot of, of God-fearing Gentile converts from the local synagogues. And many of them knew the law. So Paul is speaking especially to them who would feel this shocking claim of, of being no longer under the law. And by the way, I, I believe Paul is specifically referring to the law of Moses here when he speaks of those who know the law and not being under the law. This is, is referring specifically to the Old Covenant, specifically to that old era of, of relating to God through that covenant. And I think this is the law of Moses for, you know, primarily for the reason that here in Romans chapter 7, Paul is going to even specifically refer to Uh, the 10th commandment, you shall not covet. And here in today's passage, he's going to refer to the 7th commandment sort of indirectly by talking about adultery. So, I think my neighbor's car alarm is going off. (laughs) I hope that stops. Um, There. Paul says, do you not know 
that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Right? So there's the simple answer to our, to our question. How long is the law binding? The answer is only as long as you live. That's the extent of it. And, and next, Paul is going to go in and illustrate that point here in verses 2 through 3. Let's read verse 2 together. Paul says, For a, a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Paul illustrates here this principle that the law is only binding as long as you live by bringing up a, a different covenant, the marriage covenant. And the marriage covenant is a covenant that a man and a woman make before God. You remember Genesis 2.24 where God gives the pattern for, for marriage. He says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is covenant language, right? And the two becoming one signifies that it was to be a lifelong covenant. In fact, Jesus, in, in commenting on this verse, said in, in Matthew 19, 6, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. You know, we reflect this in our marriage ceremonies uh, by reciting I do statements that are kind of like this here. So uh, when I perform a wedding, I'll ask the groom, Do you take her to be your wedded wife? to live with her according to God's ordinance in the holiest state of marriage? Do you love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her? Do you comfort her, honor and keep her for richer or poorer in sickness and in health and forsake all others as long as you live? Right. So I ask the groom that and he'll respond, I do. And, and then it's the bride's turn. I turn to the bride and I say, do you take him to be your wedded husband? And so on and, and so forth and forsake all others as long as you live. And the bride replies, I do. And, and so this is fresh on my mind because, uh, as many of you know, I recently performed a wedding ceremony. And, you know, it just, uh, it, it just strikes me that the, the marriage ceremony is not merely a, a celebration of present love. It is also the making of a solemn covenant to go on loving one another on into the future, no matter what may come. It's a promise of future love. But even this solemn covenant has a limit, right? Uh, it, it is to last only as long as you both shall live. If a woman's husband dies, is she not released from the covenant of marriage? Of course she is, right? Paul fleshes this out further in, in verse 3. Look at verse 3. He says, Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. If a woman goes to live with another man while her husband is still alive, she's an adulteress. That's what Paul says. That's what the Old Covenant says. Right? It's what the Old Testament says. But if that same woman, as a widow, goes and remarries someone else, 
She is not an adulteress. And why is that? It's because the marriage law only binds you as long as you both shall live. Can, can you imagine going up to a widow who has finally uh, found someone else to um, enter into marriage with and uh, is getting ready to enter into another secure relationship through marriage and going up to her and, and uh, telling her that she can't do that because she was already married to her first husband. Can you, can you imagine doing that, saying that to a widow? Uh, of course not. It would, it would be ludicrous. And, and so that's the point that Paul is making here. No one goes up to a widow and forbids her to remarry because her f- first husband passed away. Nobody does that. And that's the main point here, that the covenant law of marriage is only binding as long as you live, right? A death completely frees you from that marriage law. And now Paul is going to take that illustration. He's going to apply it to the old covenant. Look at verse 4, and this is the application, verses 4 through 6. Verse 4 Paul says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Now, this is where you have to keep in mind here that the the illustration that Paul shared in verses 2 and 3 is is only an illustration, right? You can't press it too far. This isn't intended to be a point-for-point analogy where we say, okay, a husband represents this and the wife represents this. And, you know, if you, if you lo- are looking for that kind of point-for-point analogy, um, it's going to get a little bit confusing, right? But what, what you need to do is keep in mind the main point that we, we found in the illustration that a death released someone from the covenant of marriage, right? And Paul is going to bring that forward here, and he's saying, Likewise, my brothers, likewise, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. A death has brought about a freedom from the law uh, in, in this case as well. Um, and and we've, we've already talked at length how through the gospel we are united with Christ by faith, right? And that unity is such that his death is my death and his life is my life, right? So uh, we saw this in in Romans 6, 6, as uh, Paul taught us that in unity with Christ's death, we were freed from sin, right? Look at Romans 6, 6. He says, we know that our old self was crucified with, with, with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. When Jesus died on the cross, sin and death did their worst to Jesus, right? And and yet Jesus defeated them both three days later when he rose from the dead. And you see, Paul has already made this point about how the unity with the death of Christ frees us from sin. Right? Sin did its worst, death did its worst, and yet Jesus overcame it. And now in unity to him, 
sin and death can no longer touch us. Christ has died for sin once for all, and he has raised from the dead once for all. And, and sin and death can no longer touch us because of that. Right? He's making the same point now in relationship to the law. And, and that's why he says here, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. Romans 7, 4. Jesus died under the law, and so now he is once and forever free from the law. And so are we. Um, but now, here's the really important point. Okay, This death to the law... Uh, in Christ, as we are united with him, is not a death to the law so that we can then go and be lawless. If that's the conclusion that someone takes from what Paul says, that we are no longer under the law, well, that means I can be lawless. Well, well, you've missed the point, my friend. Right? Paul is, is not making that point because what he says here is that we have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. That is the reason why Christ did what he did. Just as the woman was freed from her first marriage covenant and and was now free to be married to another, so too we have been freed from the covenant of the law so that we might be uh, united or joined to another. And that another here is, of course, Christ. Paul says he is the one who has been raised from the dead. We are united with him. And and the purpose is so that we may bear offspring or fruit for God. That's what uh, the the tail end of verse 4 says, in order that we may bear fruit for God. And, you know, the way that we bear fruit for God is by our obedience to him. And bearing the the various fruits of the Spirit. Now, I'll be honest with you. Uh, as a guy, I I often struggle a little bit in connecting with the husband-wife imagery when when God speaks of uh, of Christ as the groom and the church as the bride, and I as a part of the church, and in that imagery the bride and i'm waiting for a groom to come so that we can so that there can be uh the wedding supper of the lamb right and we can be uh we the church the bride can be united with christ the groom and i, I have a hard time sometimes connecting with that as a guy <laughs> um but you have to keep in mind here that this is that this is just a metaphor it's a metaphor drawing from the closest and most intimate of human relationships that God has made. It, it, it's the, re, the one relationship that God has made where two individuals aren't just friendly with one another, but they are, the two become one, right? It, it, it's that close. And, and God, I think, created marriage to be a living parable of of the greater reality of our unity with him. Uh, and, and it's just a, a wonderful, when, when you step back from, from the analogy itself and realize what is being communicated, it really is just a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful metaphor. It's a wonderful picture of just how loved we are 
in Christ, right? Just how united we are uh, with Him and just how much intimacy we can have with Him. Um, as I mentioned just a few weeks ago, I had the privilege of, of performing a wedding. And, you know, it, it's, it's such a, a privilege. Every, every time I performed a wedding, I, I counted a privilege to be able to stand next to the groom and, and stand by his side as he struggles to hold it together as his bride comes down the aisle. And, uh, you know, to look out and, and to see the bride's face glowing as she, uh, in love and in hope, looks at her groom, um, it, it's just a wonderful thing. And I, I think the pastor gets the best vantage point, uh, standing right, right down front and center, and gets to see this, this drama un- unfold. And that, my friends, is the drama that is unfolding between God and uh, between Christ and the church, right? We have died to that old covenant uh, that only brought us sin and death and that really was an enslavement to us. And we have been freed from that so that we can now be united to another and that this unity this new union that we have is just the most wonderful uh, loving relationships that uh, of relationships that we can have with God and um, you know I can begin to wrap my my heart and mind around that right and I can see that that this is something glorious this is something Wonderful! It's something that I want to be a part of. God has brought about for us a, a death to our, our first covenant, and we are not adulteresses, right? We've died to that covenant, and He has united us to Himself. Why? In order that we may bear fruit for God. This is speaking of the result of, uh, of our union with him, right? It, it's the, the offspring, if you will, of the union. It's the fruit. It's the result. And, and what was the result of our union with the law? Paul says in, in verse 5 that while we were living in the flesh, flesh being that, that part of us, uh, that physical and spiritual part of us that wants to sin. In fact, some translations translate the word flesh just as sinful nature. Right? While we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions were aroused by the law. And, and I think that what, what this signifies is, you know, when God draws a line in the sand and says, don't cross this line, there's that part in us, uh, our flesh, that suddenly is aroused to rebelliously want to cross that line. It's like, you know, we could walk by something countless times and never even think to touch it or even want to touch it. But the moment someone hangs up a sign that says, hey, do not touch, guess what you want to do? You want to reach out and touch it, right? Simply because the sign is there. Um, and, and that's what Paul is describing here, that while we were living in the flesh, <clears throat> excuse me, our sinful passions were aroused by the law. And, and these sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit. But it was not a, a good fruit. It, it bore fruit for death. 
right? That was the result of our union uh, with the law. But then in Christ, we died to that husband so that we might belong to another, to him. Verse 6, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. This was not a good partnership. So, so that we serve in, literally here, the newness of the spirit and not the oldness of the letter. This is a comparison of the oldness of the old covenant and the newness of the new covenant. The oldness of the letter refers to the letters written externally on tablets of stone by by God's very finger at Mount Sinai. You know, God wrote the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone with his own finger. And, And yet, even that document written by God himself, uh, as wonderful as, as God's law is, and as much as it's able to teach you what is right and wrong, it, it proved utterly unable to change you at the heart level, right? It, at the end of the day, even though it was written by God, it was written externally on tablets of stone, and meanwhile, by and large, the heart remained unchanged, Right, isn't that what much of the Old Testament illustrates for us? That it's not enough to have the the law written on tablets of stone. And and by contrast here, he speaks of the newness of the serving in the newness of the Spirit. This is referring to the new covenant. It points to Old Testament passages like Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36 where God describes our own day where by the power of the Spirit, he writes the law not on tablets of stone external to, from us, but internally on, on the very tablets of our heart. And um, it, this illustration here is, is, is actually quite powerful. Uh, when, when I think you're tempted to, um, to still picture yourself under the law, under God's rules, I think Romans chapter 7 is really a gift to us here, this imagery that Paul teaches us here of how absurd it would be to, to chastise a widow for being united happily to another good husband, right? And yet that's what some people want to do with the law. They want to continue uh, to hold the law over people who are in Christ. They want to resurrect that union and keep it in force even uh, after we have died to it in Christ. If you want to know, Christian, the completeness of your deliverance from the law, then picture the freeness of a widow to remarry. Your break with the law is that stark. Yet, keep in mind that We have died to the law that we might be united with another. Marriage is is also a wonderful illustration for why, even though we are not under the law anymore, we don't run into the arms of sin. We have died to the law and are no longer under it. That's true. But we have also been raised to new life in order that we might belong to another who is greater. And the love and grace and mercy of God in this new covenant relationship constrains us and it transforms us, right? And in in union with Him, we are are able to bear, finally bear not fruit for death, but, but fruit 
every good fruit that can only come from God. We, we don't power, powerlessly shout down our evil side like Gollum did in The Lord of the Rings, wishing and hoping, you know, go away and never come back. Um, that is not a, an accurate illustration of us. No, in union with our, our new master, the Holy Spirit within us produces in us fruit that could never be born on our own. I, I love how in the book of, of Galatians, Paul really uh, unpacks this so well. He, he contrasts the fruit of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. He says in Galatians 5, beginning in verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are evident. This is the fruits of the flesh, if you will. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5. That's the fruit of the flesh. That's the fruit of, uh, that's the sign of being united uh, to the old covenant and bearing fruit of the flesh, fruit for death. But by contrast here, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and get against such things there is no law. Now, don't be discouraged, brothers and sisters. This is indeed a struggle, and we're going to see that here in the rest of Romans chapter 7. Uh, but I, here at the outset, I want you to take heart and to be encouraged to see how great is this union with Christ. How great of a picture this is of having died to a union that was uh, destructive and now uh, being freed up to be united uh, to Christ and being able to bear such wonderful fruit with Him. So I want you to one, know the death that has occurred freeing you from the law. Two, I want you to know just how complete that freedom is. And then thirdly, I want you to know that you are called now to serve your new husband bearing fruit by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what this these six verses teach you. And let me tell you, if you think that you please God by keeping enough rules, then you are not only sorely mistaken, friend, you're in for a shock. You are indeed accountable to God's laws, but you have already failed to keep them. You need an exit strategy, right? Trust in Christ, my friend. If you've never trusted in Christ, if you've never repented of your sins, uh, do that today. Trust in Christ. Turn from your sins. Confess your sins to Him. Pray to Him. You don't need any special uh, King James Version type Shakespearean language to talk to God. You can cry out to Him, confess your sins to Him, and ask Him to forgive you of your sins and to purify you from them and, and to save you. And He will do it. He can and will do it. You can uh, be freed from your sin. You can be freed from death. You can be freed from the law itself and instead be united to God in Christ. You can learn to serve God, not in the old slavish way of the letter to the law, uh, 
checking off various rules and, and doing it imperfectly at that. And instead, you can now serve God in the newness of the Spirit from the heart. You can cast light on and repent of the old fruit of the flesh that produces only death. Uh, my friend, let me invite you to come to Christ today uh, to be free of the law and to know the sweetness of Christ. That's my prayer for you and my prayer for you, church, that uh, join with me in worshiping uh, the Lord week in and week out is that we might truly understand this on the heart level. We would know the complete freedom that is ours that we are no longer under the law, but we are under grace. Keep these illustrations that the scriptures give us in your mind and draw upon them in your Christian life and, and know the freedom of the Lord today. And so let me pray for you just as we close here. Father, I come before you now and I thank you for these wonderful truths. Uh, Lord, I thank you that um, you have provided for us to be freed from the law and to be under grace and to be united with your Son. Father, I pray that we would just exult in that today, that we would relish it, and that we would live in the freedom of the sons and daughters of, of God. Uh, Lord, fill us with your Spirit and indeed bear fruit, every good fruit that we saw here from, from Galatians. Lord, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and the like. Father, we want what only you can provide and what you can only produce in us. And Lord, we want these things not, not for ourselves only, but Lord, we want to glorify you and to give you the praise. Lord, I pray for those who uh, have tuned in to this service and uh, Lord, maybe are far from you. And Lord, maybe they feel the uh, slavishness to rules and their inability to change themselves. Lord, maybe they feel like Gollum in the Lord of the Rings, Lord, just constantly at war with what they know they ought to do and yet can't do uh, and just continually failing, continually falling behind. Father, I pray that you would uh, allow that person to realize that today is the day of salvation, that they can know freedom in Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would bring people to salvation, to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ today. Lord, may today be the day of salvation, we pray. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you for your church. And I pray that you would build your church now uh, by the power of your word and for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.